Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for moments of intimacy, but at the same time, Father, we ask your forgiveness. Because we don't really know what it is that you want in these moments. Father, we ask you to forgive us because we are hesitant to enter in as you desire for us to enter in. When we know there are barriers in our thinking, in our actions, in our attitude that decrease the likelihood of us experiencing the sort of intimacy that you really have in mind. And my prayer is that today, Father, even, even as we're here in this place, that that could change. That our mindset could change. That we could clearly understand what it is that's to take place in moments like this. Father, I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Just, just play for a few moments more, Katie. In Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 2, it says this after Jesus was born in, in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The sad thing is this. When we read these passages of Scripture, I don't know that we really understand what was taking place. We have what we call modern forms of worship. We sing songs. We experience some sort of... um, level of intimacy in a song like that and we think oh yeah no no no, this is good we're getting somewhere it feels good for us and we assume that somehow there's some benefit for God in that but you know as we look through the Old Testament in a few moments and I'll go through it quickly because I want to get to the key point in all of this my hope is that there will be a moment of revelation that will help you understand what's expected to take place And I think you'll actually be surprised because this is not a volitional thing. This is not something you choose to do. It's something you actually have an obligation to do, which changes the nature of what ought to take place. Let me read through some passages in Genesis first. Genesis 22 verse 4 to 6 says this. The third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and he said to his servant stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there we will worship and then we will come back to you and Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together and what's happening here is we understand this passage of scripture Uh, Abraham is going to worship God he's taking his son Isaac he knows what God has asked him to do with his son Isaac 
And we don't actually understand it. As a matter of fact, we think we understand it. We don't understand it because it seems that Abraham is being asked to sacrifice his son. He doesn't want to sacrifice his son, but out of obedience to God, he is willing to go through the process and, uh, and he goes. And, you know, part of the worship is sacrifice. When you think of sacrifice, we think giving up something that's important to us. In this circumstance, sacrifice is taking the life of his son to honour his heavenly father. Next passage of scripture, Genesis 24, 25 to 27 says this, and, and she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder and as well as some room for you to spend the night. And then the men bowed down and worshipped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. So what's happening is, again, an assignment is given, but when there is a, a, a clear indication of the success of the assignment, what happens is there is this practice of prostrating yourself down and worshiping God. Now we think, oh, that's just like a thank you. You've got no idea what's taking place here. This is not a thank you. It's an act of worship. And, and, and as I get to the end of the Old Testament, you'll, I think you will get some insight which will change the way you view what ought to take place. Next passage in Exodus 3 and verse 12 says this, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Again, he's indicating there is a place of, um, and I'll give you some insight, there is a place of consummation. There's a place of consummation. Exodus 10, 26 says this, Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will, know what we, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. And so again, it's, 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 it's all in. It's everything we have. It's, a, it's our livestock. It's our families. Everything has to go towards this place where they're instructed to worship. Exodus 20 and verse 4 to 6 says this, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, uh, just I missed a bit there, <laughs> for I, the Lord your God, go back a fraction. Yeah, I'm a jealous God. Thank you. <laughs> punishing the children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations those who love me and keep my commandments ominous words punishing blessing Exodus 23:33 says this do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you Deuteronomy 4, 27, 29. The Lord will scatter you among the the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you will seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Hopefully you're getting a picture from the Old Testament and I'm not, I'm not expecting you not to have understood these passages. 
but I don't really think you know what they mean. It's not on the screen, it won't come up, but in Malachi, God uses these words, God hates divorce. Say this as carefully as I can. Worship is not something you choose to do. God married the people of Israel. And the intimacy between him and his people was conducted in worship. A man and a wife marry and their intimacy is conducted in a bedroom. Then other places as well. Hang on, I mean in restaurants as you talk and... Tried to break the ice. But in Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. What's he saying? He's, he's in, in Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, he's speaking to the priests in particular. He said, you've divorced me. You've put me aside. I was your husband and you've discarded me. When I said before that worship is an act of consummation, it's, a, it's the place where God meets with us and we meet with him. And you think that somehow this is an option and if it doesn't feel good for you, then it's not good enough. No, 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 no. This is a place where God marries you and you marry God. It's not a song that you sing. It's a, it's a joining of two hearts together. And, and what God is saying is when you worship something else made of steel or wood, cast it aside. If someone tries to give it to you, get rid of it. Why? Because it's coming between you and I. For many of you who are married, if someone comes in between your relationship with your spouse, there's a little bit of anger normally, isn't there? There's a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of upset, a little bit of, hey, don't you, and Ruth said it to me, from don't you talk to her. I don't like the way she looks at you. She hasn't said it for a long time. I don't know why. I don't know why, but anyway. Why? Because there's something that rises up within that says, no, 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 get away from him, he's mine. It's not just ownership, it's investment. In other words, you know, if, if I can explain the relationship between a man and a wife, there is a, a sense of privacy, there's a sense of um, intimacy, there's a sense of knowing there are secrets I have with Ruth and she has with me that no one else knows, no one else is privy to. And as soon as something comes in between, not only is there's a potential loss of someone you love, but there's the loss of all that been invested in the relationship. And so God says, you, you, you what? You swap me for a piece of timber or a piece of steel? You bow down or prostrate yourself like that's worth more? And so in Malachi, as you read Malachi, you will see that God is he's paining, he's, he's yearning for his people. He's saying, no, 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 don't swap it all. Don't swap all that stuff for me. As I've read some of the passages in the Old Testament there, he said, don't worship other right. Don't marry something other than me. He's saying, I've got everything there is. I created the world. Everything there is that you need, I can give it to you. He's a husband, if I can put it this way, that wants to give everything to his wife. 
And then we come into the New Testament, we read the first passage of Scripture, and we have these wise men from the East, the Magi, and what they do is they come and they hear of the Messiah, and, and, and they know that it's much more, when it says they worship, what they did is they said, we want to marry the Messiah. That's what they're saying. We want to bow down. We want to prostrate ourselves before him. Babe as he might be, he's been spoken of for centuries. He's the answer to our future. He's the answer to all of the promises that we've read about. He's the one to whom we want to now wed ourselves as an expression of God's love for us all. And so, like I said before, when you read it, you don't understand what's taking place here. This is a holy thing. Matthew 4 says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. We understand the passage is Jesus being tempted by the devil. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. And the reason Jesus uses those words, he reminds us of what took place in the Old Testament. All throughout history, the enemy has tried to distract you from the most profound relationship you could have on earth. It began in the Garden of Eden. And it continued right throughout history. And Satan here is, is tempting Jesus, saying, hey, hey, if you bow down, I'll give you everything. Jesus is not tempted by that. Jesus was in no way tempted by that because he knew the kingdoms of the world belonged to his father. Amen. Why, did the, why did the transaction take place? Why was there this conversation so that you could understand so that you could understand how profound and how important it is to worship only Him. John 4, 22, 24 says this, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything. Everything is expected to be devoted to God. Why? Because you are married to him. We talk and we sing about all that he can do. And he wants to do. All he's asking you to do is lay down your idols. John 4, verse 24 again says this, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We know that the church is the body of Christ, but it's also the bride of Christ. Right? There's a day at the end of time where the bride of Christ, the church, is, celebrates a marriage to the Son of God. And now we can't understand how all of this works, but what 
what ha- is actually happening is there's a, there's a story right throughout Scripture. And it's one of marriage. It's where God created mankind so that he could commune together with him. And mankind's end will result in him communing with him as well. And so when we talk about worship, I want you to understand this is much more than a song you sing. It's much more than a a warm and intimate feeling that you might experience. It's the consummation of a marriage. It's a moment in time where God and you can connect in the most holy way, the most profound way, in a way that gives you peace and comfort. He, He wants to embrace you and remind you that He is everything you need. You don't need anything other than Him. And and it sounds strange to say that, but it's true because He provides everything. It's interesting in Malachi, He goes on and He talks about how, you know, they say, how have you robbed me? And He says, well, through tithes and offerings. He's saying, all I'm asking for you to do is, is, is to continue to worship me in this way and I'll give you everything that you need. And this message isn't about that, but our giving is part of our worship. And if I can put it this way, your giving is part of your worship. I'm not talking about your finances. I'm talking about your hearts. Your giving is your worship. If I can be as crude as to say this, you know, in a marriage relationship, two people give themselves to one another. Worship is an act of us giving ourselves to God and Him giving Himself to us. And there are glimpses or moments in that act of worship that give us foresight into the plan He has for us beyond this life here and now. You see, there is no experience that can exceed the sort of profound moments that you can have in your relationship with God but they're only a foretaste of what God has got in mind for us all. Because when we die, we enter in a place where He is and we will be also. I'm going to ask you simply to close your eyes and bow your heads. I prayed before and I, I asked forgiveness, not only for myself, but for all of us. And the reason I did is because I know that I'm still inadequate both emotionally and intellectually to truly comprehend the exchange that is supposed to take place in my relationship with Him. And so my prayer of forgiveness is one based on my ignorance but also on my failing efforts. Do you know what I want for you today? Whether you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life or not, I want you to experience intimacy with him, which will be a foretaste of all that he has in mind for you. He's wedded to us collectively and he's wedded to us individually. And he always, always exceeds our expectations. Word of warning, don't follow some strange idol whether that idol be practical and physical, or whether it be emotional or internal, 
Too many people spend their time looking for something that will do them no good. And all the while, the, the genuine one, the authentic one, the complete one is crying out for you to connect with him so that he can complete you. Father, we're here in this place today. As we've already said, as incomplete human beings. Lord, I know for myself, I'm still learning what it means to worship. I know that, Father, the intent is that I would live or conduct myself in a way that would bring you glory. That somehow out of my connection with you, others would see your name glorified, your character glorified. That there would be a pointer, as it were, that others would experience somehow from my life that would make a difference to their life but promote your desire for a connection with them as well. My prayer today in this place is, as we head into Christmas, Father, that you would help us to, in everything we do, conduct ourselves in a way that honors you. But even more than that, that you would help us to sincerely, completely and truly worship you in spirit and in truth. We honor and glorify you today. And we look to the day where we will meet you face to face. Touch us right now. I ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come now. Jess is going to lead us, I think. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.